Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donzig alongside my co-host, Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise Podcast is now streaming on midtownradio.ca Saturdays at 10 a.m. Our topics for today's episode are assessing the Blue Jays draft picks, Roger, Gis- Roger Goodell's apologies, uh, breaking news in the NCAA, the uh, Ottawa Senators and Eugene Melnick, and reacting to the score's top 50 players in the twenty-four-team t- uh, playoff format. Uh, let's begin in the MLB. Of course, the MLB, the 2020 MLB draft, the virtual draft, was just a few, or I think it's still happening, but it's, it's finished up. The first no, round just, was just the other day. Yeah, just finished up a few days ago. So, yeah, we're going to kind of take a look at the uh, Blue Jays draft picks, all five, or all five of them, and kind of assessing how they look. So let's start with the first-round pickup they got, the fifth overall, Austin Martin, the shortstop out of Vanderbilt. Um, and then we can kind of work our way down. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, did they make the right choice? Because a lot of people are saying that Blue Jays are winners of the drafts, and they got an absolute steal out of Austin Martin in the fifth overall pick. Yes. So the Blue Jays, I loved their draft strategy this year and I loved their draft as a whole, but kind of looking at each individual player, starting with Austin Martin, who uh, has been widely known uh, by MLB uh, insiders, whether that be Jeff Passan, whether that be MLB.com, whether that be anybody in that field. He is pretty much regarded as the best hitter in the draft overall. Apparently, He's got pretty good power, not overpowering like the first overall pick that went to the Tigers, but he has decent power. He's the type of guy that could hit 20 home runs a year. Uh, he's really defensively sound, and he can get on base. He can drive in runs, and he is an all-around great player out of Vanderbilt. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things the Blue Jays uh, were happy about with this draft pick is not only was he supposed to go like second overall and he fell all the way to fifth for them, which everybody was surprised about the Jays weren't expecting to get Austin Martin and people are probably confused. Cause like, Hey, what do you mean? Why did we draft a shortstop? Uh, that's 21 years old. We already have Bo Bichette, but the good thing about Austin Martin is not only is he a shortstop, but last year he played a lot of third base and he played a lot of outfield. And that is one of the things the blue Jays will be looking for with him. He is very versatile. And I think you could see in the future a potential infield with the Blue Jays because he is 21 years old. So that means uh, with the Blue Jays' overall strategy in the draft, they drafted all five guys, 21 years old, all five guys at a university, which I think was a great strategy because they're kind of out of the rebuild mode now, the Jays. They're kind of focusing on the future. And in two years, these types of players will be effective. And with Austin Martin, you could see an infield of him at third, Bouchette at second, Bijou at – or sorry – Bichette at short, Bijou at second, and then Vladdy moves over to first or something like that. And I think that infield uh, would be not only athletic, not only stellar defensively, but it's young, it would be cheap, and it would be all around an offensive powerhouse. Because you have guys who can hit for home runs, average, drive in runs, take walks. You have a solid core of those four players. Yeah, definitely. And do you see them making an immediate impact or is it going to like, like you said as well, two years around, is it going to, it's going to take some time for them to really make an impact, but let's keep on going on the next list. We got CJ Van Ike as well at the 40 to 42nd overall pick, uh, Trent Palmer, Nick Frasco and Zach Britton. So any other interesting things about those graphics that you want to talk about regards to, uh, and like any sort of steals and stuff that they got, like anything like that or. Yeah. Um, well, not only like, 
Austin Martin is probably the biggest steal out of all these guys, but I really like what the Blue Jays have done because, like I was saying, they're all uh, they're all 21 years old, so that means they can help out in the near future, which I think is what the Jays would be looking for. Um, overall, the draft was not very uh, was not filled with a lot of high school picks, which was a thing that was talked about a lot in the MLB media. Um, but what the Jays did with the rest of their picks, drafting uh, CJ Van Eyck, uh, Trent Palmer, and Nick Frasso. Um, all three of those guys are very versatile pitchers. All of them, I believe, have about a 95 fastball. They got, I think, some of them have three, some of them have four pitch uh, pitch sets. Uh, and what the Jays are liking with all these guys is not only is are they sometimes starters, but they can also be relievers. They All three of these guys have spent time both in the pen and in the rotation. And I think that's what the Jays will be looking for when eventually they – want to bring up a lot of their young pitchers because obviously Nate Pearson's coming up and a lot of other young pitchers, but you're going to need bullpen guys that can help out uh, eventually. And I think that's what a lot of these young guys will probably be doing at the start. But if they need to, they can do a spot start here. They can open a game. They can do a lot of things. And I think that's what the Jays liked about these three pitchers is that they're very versatile. And then with Zach Britton, uh, he and the outfielder out of Louisville, this was just a solid pick. I think for the Jays, uh, he is, uh, pretty good defensively and is a very good hitter kind of lacks in the power department but I think he is a solid a solid pick for the Jays in the fifth round uh, of this shortened MLB draft because this year since it was virtual they didn't want to do like all like I think there's like 20 rounds usually so they kind of shortened it down there'll probably be a bunch more signings of different rookies coming out yeah. and obviously none of these guys have technically agree to a contract yet although a lot of them have said that they are excited to play for the Jays and stuff like that so um, I think once all five of these guys are on the team going into training camp next year um, I think these guys can not only start out in like a double a single a I think they could work their way up in the system starting next year and then we could see them as high as triple a or in the case of Austin Martin depending on how good he is uh, we could see him making some time in the MLB and making an impact right away or almost right away, which I think is huge for the Blue Jays because you could build for like the Blue Jays could have built for the future, but they know that their window for the future is now. You got Vladdy on a good deal. You got Bichette coming up. You got Kevin uh, uh, Biggio doing really well. You have a really young core, plus with Nate Pearson coming up, plus with now the signing of Ryu. So you have a very solid core going forward and in two three years when you need that extra boost these these players could make an impact and I think that's what the Blue Jays really liked and what would you say that uh, window for like, like let's say a championship is because I know with like what we've talked about with as well as that previous teams or like with any sport is that whenever you have a young team like the Blue Jays as well that have a lot of youth you have a certain window to win a like championship or a few championships as well do they have about a five-year window now from here until 2025 or 2026 maybe let's say um being this year's bit of a write-off let's or like if, if even year this this year happens and stuff, but if do they have like around a five year window that they can develop all these players into athletes or like I mean to superstar players to win a world a world series or two as well? Do you see that being a possibility? I, I I see I see the Jays going forward is like they do have I feel like their window could be extended a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I do think five years is their best bet, uh, yeah. just based off the contract of Fusion Ryu. But I think after Ryu is his contract is up, I don't know if he would retire at that point. I don't know if he'd sign another contract extension, whatever. But mm-hmm. no matter what he does, I think the future of the Jays will be set by that point. And I think that you could even see like a, a five to seven years even because 
not only is this team very young and it will look good for the rest of the uh, for the coming years, uh, I think they do have the chance to make the playoffs. I think this year, but I don't. I think the the hope is to make the playoffs, but it's not the expectation. And then I think the year after is when you really would see a, a huge jump from the Jays, um, just because. I see this year as more of like a, another year for development for the young players, get Ryu used to playing in Toronto, get uh, Pearson into a few games, make sure he's ready to go, give uh, the young guns another chance to develop, give Vladdy, Bichette, Biggio another, another year, another full year to say, okay, we belong in this league and this is why. And then two years from now, you bring in the, in the backup of the young prospects coming up. And I think you will see, I think in the next two to seven years, I think you will see um, that that window be the time the Jays really start to push for the playoffs. And I think it's going to be uh, very exciting for Blue Jays fans because the the days of the ugly black uniforms and the uh, and the pool uh, like the limited pool of prospects and the hundred hundred game loss seasons are a bit behind the Jays at this point. And I think there are many uh many better games and better days to come and i think blue jays fans should be really excited about that and i think the draft this year and their picks really emphasize that a bit more because it shows that they are looking to draft prospects that can help them now and i think that is what they have done this year definitely i would agree Alrighty, that wraps up our MLB discussion regarding assessing the blue jays draft picks and did if they made the right choices Moving on over into some other NFL news, a few days ago, Roger Goodell issued an apology to NFL players, fans, and anyone else affected um, like by the, of course, the whole Colin Kaepernick fallout and with the systemic racism, apologizing that they do not, um, that they do not allow that and they do not want to be known for that. Um, but this whole situation, this whole apology has re-brought up a lot of things, but he does not, like, interesting enough that a lot of celebrities and a lot of um, sports personality hosts or mention or mentioned that he did not mention Colin Kaepernick, and even some saying that Colin Kaepernick deserves a job in the NFL. So the question I pose to you, and that many people are wondering, does Kaepernick deserve a job in the NFL or not? I personally think he does. I think he's. Uh, it's all. It's been reported a ton that he has still game ready, pretty much. He has been working out and training. Uh, pretty much every single day since he has left the league, and I think he deserves an. Uh, I think he deserves another chance. Not only would it look good on the NFL to bring back that in the current uh, fight against racism, mm-hmm. um, but as well, I think he does deserve a. I think he does deserve a spot. I think he can be a solid starter for some of the weaker teams, backup for some of the better teams. I think he could be a quarterback in this league uh, consistently, and I think the NFL needs to give him a chance and I know uh Pete Carroll said this week I believe that some team uh some teams are interested I think he I didn't he didn't mention any names but he didn't mention any names but he said supposedly a team or two was interested in Colin Kaepernick because Colin Kaepernick was supposedly the Seahawks were interested in get um in actually this was I think this was after he had become a free agent in 2016 they were potentially looking at him as a backup quarterback to help out uh, like as a as an addition on to Russell Wilson, it never did really happen. So I think that's where it's interesting as well because in my mind, in my mind, Colin Kaepernick doesn't doesn't he deserves another chance to to show his skills. That's that's to me like the NFL did give him a chance. 
to have a workout. He decided to hold his own workout on a different location. The NFL didn't like that. So that's kind of where the whole thing came. If they give him another chance, if they give him one more chance to work out in front of a bunch of scouts, in front of a bunch of, you know, teams and stuff, obviously COVID friendly to nowadays, but even if he sends in some, but in my mind, they shouldn't just give him a roster spot on the team. He deserves another chance for a workout. That's, that's my mind. And that's what I'm thinking because if he goes out and he shows that he can play in a workout and he agrees to that, to meet with, you know, teams or to meet with the NFL, like, and they, they, they have a meeting and they say, okay, this is where the workout's going to be and stuff. And like, they, they, they agree to a deal where both sides, where both parties are agreed and they can come to an agreement and Colin Kaepernick can go work out and he can show his skills. And I definitely agree. Colin Kaepernick, like I was looking at some of his stats. He had some really good years. He, his years were, is up and down and stuff, you know, as of like, even close to near the end when he had, um, Left the league in 2016. It wasn't looking so good. Uh, before that, his best year was really 2013 when he did go to the NFC Championship against Seattle, which they ended up losing, but still a really good year. So in my mind, between the whole thing, I think that Colin Kaepernick doesn't deserve a – like he deserves he deserves a chance. He deserves a chance for a workout, but he should not be given an automatic roster spot. Some people are saying, oh, no, you should just put him on a roster, stick him on a team, and he could be a backup. He could definitely be a backup if he shows that he can work out and that shows that he can be a good backup player or even a starter as well on some players like even the Carolina Panthers that are looking for the quarterback because they released Cam Newton and they just have Kyle, I forget what his name is. Uh, they have that quarterback as well, like him. So in my mind, that's kind of my thoughts. But it's really unfortunate to see what has happened with the NFL and how they, held, how they dealt with the Kaepernick situation um, regarding this whole thing. So I think he should just be given one last chance to work out, show his skills. And if the if teams just decide, no, he's not good enough, well, that's just the way it is. Because in my mind, you, you have to work for a job in anywhere. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, sh if he doesn't show up fully, like hundred percent, like a real, uh, like a, like an NFL grade quarterback, then he doesn't deserve a spot. That's my thoughts. Yes, I don't think I don't think the league should just like assign him to a team or something like no. that. I think he's definitely going to have to earn it. Like he is going to teams are going to want him because they mm. want him to play, not because yeah. it's going to change a bunch of things. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I do think teams are going to want to like. There was a bunch of talk um, about how uh, there was people saying that um, the Minnesota Vikings should. Uh, should sign Kaepernick because not only do they need a quarterback, but it would really put a bolster on like everything going on that has been going on in Minnesota that kind of uh, kind of stimulated the pro protests mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. But at the same time, like you were saying, they're not just gonna. They shouldn't just assign him to a team out of courtesy. I think he like if a team is going to assign him, it's because they want his playing ability. Yeah. And I think it would be nice if he went to Minnesota. And I think he would make an impact there. Um, but I think there mm -hmm. are many other teams that realistically could use a player like Colin Kaepernick. I think he can be a starting level quarterback in the league. And I think teams are interested because he has that potential. And I think not only do teams want to really help start the change, but at the same time, they want a good quarterback. And I think they can get that. And I think, I don't think I know they can get a good quarterback in Colin Kaepernick. And I mean, the NFL could give him a chance to work out for a bunch of teams, but I think teams know what his ability is right now. Yeah. -ish. 
I mean, they could give him a workout, but teams do know his ability and what his potential is and how hard he is working. And I think that could really spur some teams to take a, take a closer look at him and look at possibly signing him. Definitely. Alrighty, that wraps up our NFL discussion regarding uh, Roger Goodell's apology to NFL players, fans, and the fact that he does not mention Colin Kaepernick as well. The fact that if the debate of other, does Colin Kaepernick deserve a job in the NFL or not? Welcome back to On The Rise Podcast. Moving on over into some NBAs, or not NBA news, but more NCAA um, news. Uh, breaking news from Florida. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill Friday afternoon that will allow college athletes in the state to make money from endorsements starting next summer. We've seen a similar bill in California from another governor and a few other, I'm sure, I'm sure a few other states have signed as well. But how many more states will follow suit with this after, of course, California and Florida have done this now? Because it is the right thing to do. In my mind, college athletes deserve to be paid like they you know they don't, they don't deserve to be paid from the college they deserve to at least make money because if the colleges and universities are making money off of them off march madness off of money deal off of i mean tv deals and stuff because they're the zion williamson and john Morant and even the um even when lonzo ball was in college well he was a pretty big star as well when he was in there so how many more states will follow suit um in my mind like for the question is how many more states will follow suit in this whole thing about uh, signing bills to allow athletes to make more money or make money from endorsements. I personally think that like all of them, like I think all of them will eventually. And I think that they should because college athletes deserve to make some money from endorsements. I think um, a lot of times, especially in the basketball scene where NCAA is, I think a lot bigger uh, compared to other sports like yes NCAA hockey and NCAA football are obviously big as well but I feel like NCAA basketball is where the main focus is mm-hmm. and I feel like easily not only do these college athletes deserve to be making money from endorsements because they are on TV all the time uh, especially during March Madness yep. but also I feel like for the stuff uh, for the work they're putting in for the teams and for the public aware like for the effect that they have on the public because so many of these like top college athletes are very well known uh, especially in the NBA where the prospects are widely known widely hyped up like obviously we saw with Zion last year he was everywhere before he even got to the league and easily he could have made money for Nike or Adidas or Jordan or anything like that he easily could have made money for them and I yeah. feel like he could have made money for himself and he should have made money for himself because like when you have, when you are a young star and obviously there is the whole talk about, yes, he could be theoretically a bust. We obviously know he's not really a big bust now, but you never know what the future can hold, whether that be injuries or something like that. Uh, And I can understand why some, companies might want not want to sign college athletes just because they don't know what they could actually be. They'd prefer to sign already established stars. Mm -hmm. But I think for some of these college athletes, because they're so widely regarded, I think they should deserve to make a little bit money because in a sense, going to March Madness games, they are are playing in March Madness games um, in front uh, on TV and in front of a whole, uh, a whole, Audience. millions a whole million fans realistically whether that be over or under like there are a lot of people that watch march madness games and a lot of people that attend them so um 
personally, I feel that they should be able to make money because they are basically working for the teams and working for the TV deals and putting themselves out there. And I feel like they should be getting some sort of a pay through that uh, through endorsements just because they aren't making money otherwise, right? Like, yes, they could have a side job or something like that, but I feel like they do deserve to make some money from endorsements. What are your thoughts? I would definitely agree because the biggest thing with uh, any professional athlete is if you go into like, like, let's take an example of like Zion Olmson. He signs a deal with like, you know, he said, or once he got into the league, he signed a big deal. I think, I don't remember who it was that he signed a deal with. Um, Yeah, it was the Jordan brand, right? So he makes a lot of money, but let's say for example, he turns into a bust and he doesn't have a lot of money because yes, he signed a big rookie contract, but you know, he bought a nice house and he, so it's almost like these endorsements that they can make from college, be it, you know, even if they're only there for one year or two years or like even they're trying to, obviously they're trying to reduce the one and done rule because they want to have people um, play a little bit longer and stuff like two or three years, how it is in college football. But the big thing in my mind is that these athletes who sometimes be end up being bust, they are like, they're great college athletes. They go number one overall and they become a bust. If they have money from endorsements, they have a little bit of money that they can hold on to themselves and they can kind of survive, suffice it to say. Let's say if they, you know, become a bust and they're out of the league in a couple of years and they're like, they, they need a little extra money. And yes, they have the rookie contract as well. But not only that, but they're making a name for themselves. And I think with this as well, it, it creates so much more. I think it, it really helps the brand as well. Like there's a reason why celebrities are in commercials because when you see LeBron James drinking a Sprite, you like, man, I wanna really I want I wanna really buy a sprite or I really wanna buy that. And if you see Zion Olmson, you know, drinking Gatorade, you're gonna want the store to go because that's what it all it is the persona of being like the athlete or being like the celebrity. So brands, even if they're college athletes, so many people watch March Madness, millions and millions of people each and every year. A lot of people bet on it, which is one of the big things that's why they're pushing for this, is because NCAA makes a lot of money on well not the NCAA, but a lot of the casinos and stuff they make a lot of money on betting and betting on the NCAA. who's gonna win who's gonna win who's gonna win like and they're all like that so with all that money being made it's like in the billions and stuff athletes should be given some some sort of recognition in any way where they can make money from themselves from the name that the ncaa is putting on them so that stars like zion Olmson and john Morant and um deandre hunter and all those other stars can uh, make a name for themselves other than just being part of a team. They can be like, okay, he like he plays for Duke and he also is a Gatorade athlete and stuff, or he is sponsored by Nike or sponsored by that's in my mind. So, and I think the States will follow suit. It will take a lot of time because, well, we're living in unprecedented times right now with everything that's going on. And this is, this is good news that came forward because there's a lot of, I think negativity right now in the world where with everything going down between COVID-19 and protests and stuff. So in my mind, this is good news that kind of will slowly start to bring the world together saying, okay, you know, we're starting to recognize the college athletes. We're starting to give them the chance to make some money for themselves, to make a name for themselves, other than just the brand that they're attached. Instead of just being like Zion Olmson, who plays for Duke, Zion Olmson, he is sponsored. Like, like I said as well, it just kind of creates a second name for themselves other than just being tied to the university in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they they deserve to make a little bit of money uh, when they are making money for whether that be casinos or whether that be TV deals or something like that. Yeah. So I feel like they deserve to make some of their own money. And obviously the college isn't going to be paying for it. I think the endorsements should, I think endorsements should be allowed so they can step mm-hmm. in and give the players an opportunity to A, make a name for themselves, but B, also make a little bit of money. 
And I think as well, like, like just like kind of the last point to wrap up before we kind of move on to another topic is that I did a, uh, this was like, I think this past year, I did like a little um, research paper. It was like a pop culture piece in writer's craft. And it was one of the things that I talked about was could, should, cath- should college athletes be paid? And I basically did a study and I figured out how much money each year, or some of the top colleges either be in hockey, in basketball, in football, make this like make each year. And they have enough to give them like I, I can't remember what the number exactly what is, but it was around I think like thirty five or forty grand extra just to have. Like because I know a lot of these players are on they're on scholarships, right? They have a lot of things that are fully paid for. But there's some of those players, like let's say the fifteenth guy on the Duke team or on the um, UCL team who's not on a full scholarship, he's on a part scholarship, it means he's got part pay, but he's still got to pay. So if he's given a little bit extra, like thirty five, thirty or thirty five grand, that will help pay for some of it reduce the debt that is known as student debt so in my mind like yes it's it's not uh the universities will not be paying the athletes and stuff because they cannot do that but technically they probably have the money to pay athletes and there's a whole debate of how to base so this is good because now the fact that you have athletes making money from endorsements the really good athletes will make the top dollars and the lower tier athletes will make what they're worth and stuff Alrighty, that wraps up our uh, NC or NBA section regarding the NCAA news regarding the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signing a bill this Friday afternoon that will allow college athletes in the state to make money from endorsements starting next summer. And moving on over into our last two topics of the day in the NHL, the Ottawa Sun newspaper is in some hot water after publishing errors uh, regarding charity work, own, uh, charity work and owner Eugene Mel- Melnick from the Ottawa Senators. Basically, the titles of the articles were misleading and putting out false ideas amid the charity work between the organization and owner Eugene Melnick. One of the two articles is from June 5th, entitled Split Between Senators and Foundation Boils Down to Money, in quotations, and the other is from June 8th with the headline Melnick's Tussle with Sens Foundation Could Be a Messy One. So it's really interesting because it's like whenever you're a big newspaper or a big sports thing, like a sports um, organization or a sports news website, you want to put out the best and inf- you want to put out the most accurate information. And these publishing errors really cause, I think, like it doesn't, it causes them to be in hot water because you're putting out false information. You're basically fake news saying that there's this big divide between Melnick and the Sense Foundation could be a messy one. It's, it's misleading, could be false. And it could also just dig up some dirt that you don't want to dig up. So what are your thoughts on these? Like, it's, it's a small story. It's not really much, but I think it's thought of be just interesting to bring up and stuff um, regarding this. And what are your thoughts on the whole matter? Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just tough for Eugene Melnick because um, not only now is there false, false ideas being put in people's head about him as an owner, but also he's already been, he's already not, loved by the Ottawa Senators fans however many of them there are because (laughs) he has done he has yes he has drafted well but he still hasn't done enough around the team he hasn't like he hasn't done enough there's been so many different scandals different ideas and different 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 media pieces about Eugene Melnick and They've been all saying sell the team. Everybody, some, there was talk of him actually selling the team, and then people didn't want to sell it. There were so many different things with Eugene Melnick. Yeah. It's all coming to a head, I think. And I personally, I personally don't think he stays the owner, and that that worries me for the uh, Ottawa Senators. I don't. I think he still will own the Senators for a little while, but it's tough for the Senators right now because they're not bringing in the fans and they're not bringing in money right now. They're they are 
a bottom of the league team right now. They are bringing up some young talent and they will be getting some at this year's draft. Uh, they have a promising future, but right now they are very on the low. They are not making a lot of money from ticket sales and with COVID, obviously they wouldn't be making much more anyways, but hmm. they're not selling merchandise. They're not selling tickets. They're not making a lot of money right now. And that's tough as an owner because you paid a lot of money to keep the team running. And it's, it's really tough because there's so many different things going on around Eugene Melnick and it's tough because the senators are in, in a sense, a failing organization right now. They do have promising young talent coming through, but they're not selling tickets. They're not making money. And it's really tough for an owner to continue to pay for a team that doesn't make any money. And that's why I think you may see somebody buy out the senators. And I hate to, I hate to even mention the possibility, but there is still the chance that it like the senators may not be still in Ottawa in the next 10 years, for example, because mm. they are make like say they get Lafreniere at the in the draft and say they get another top pick, whether that be Byfield or something, someone like that. Yeah. They'll have a future, but I still think the that they book with, I mean, you got rid of the team's, most like the fans favorite player in Eric Carlson through a trade. Yes, he was getting older and I mean, it is working out for them now because they will be getting draft picks. Uh, but with the retirement of Spezza or well, not retirement, but the team moving on from Spezza and then him bouncing around a few different teams, Alfredson, when he retired, yeah. they were losing a lot of their really good players. And while they did make the playoffs a few years ago, it's tough for them right now because they have a winning team. They don't, they aren't making money. And, it's it's tough to say they are failing as an organization and I don't want to see where that they're going to need a huge upside and they're going to need to turn it around fast or else this team is going to slowly diminish and then we may not see a team in Ottawa anymore and that's that's the thing that slightly worries me yeah I would definitely agree and I think whenever you have these situations where the owner is not liked and there's a lot of situations going on be it true or not true it's not good for the owner because the Ottawa Senators are not a good team right now they they have they haven't been for the past I'd say probably four or five years uh their better days were when Daniel Balfordson was in his prime and they had young Jason Spezza and they had um Eric Carlson as well as the defenseman. So that was the prime Ottawa Senators where everyone's like, okay, you know, but then things started to change. People like started to move on. People retired and stuff like Alfred did, Spetsa left um, and so did Carlson. So in my mind, yeah, like you said as well, the Ottawa Senators in five or 10 years could be out of the league or in a, not out of the league, but more um, in a different location out of the, other than Ottawa, another billionaire or another organization picks them up and picks them up picks them up and moves them to another city where there might be more fan, um, I guess, appreciation or wanting a team. And like, obviously I'm not saying, obviously Seattle is a, is um, a team and stuff like that. They've already, they're like, they're going to be a expansion team, but I'm not saying, but possibly if they wanted to, they could just like move all the players from Ottawa and just put them into the Seattle team. And that's like the Seattle team now. And then the new owner picks them up. That could be a possibility. I highly doubt that, but it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to see the whole idea. And I think that I would definitely agree with you that if things don't get better for Eugene Melnick and yes, they, uh, they could get Lafreniere and they could get Byfield. But in my mind, what I noticed with any team is that, um, what I noticed with any team is that whenever they pick up some young stars, 
they, 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 it always takes them years to develop. Like, no player, like, unless you're maybe, I don't know, Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky or Conor McDavid, there is, even then, there is very little um, improvement made over the first few years when or whenever a new star comes in. It takes time to develop the team and build the team around that star. And I think that if they do get Lafreniere or if they do get Byfield, um, they, they have to build the team around those two stars. And that's going to take a couple more years. And who knows if Eugene's going to be around for that or if it's going to be a new organization that's going to own it. So um, it's an interesting situation that's going on. But um, I do feel bad for Eugene Melnick to get stuck in this hot water about these false accusations and stuff regarding the Sands Foundations and Eugene Melnick. Moving on over to some other news. Uh, so the score recently put out the top 50 players in the 2014 playoff. We're not going to go through all top 50 uh, players. We're going to kind of break down in the top 10 and what changes we think need to be made uh, to the top 10. So starting at number 10, we have Evgeny Malkin. Evgeny Malkin. Number nine, we have Patrice Bergeron. Number eight, Patrick Kane. Number seven, we have Pasternak. Six, Nikita Kucherov. Number five, Alex Ovechkin. Uh, number four, Leon Dreisaitl. Number three, McKinnon. Number two, Crosby. Number one, and, Con- of course, Conor McDavid. So, Evan, what are your thoughts on what changes need to be made to the top ten? Because I know you're a Leafs fan. I know we talked about this before, but you're, you're upset that, um, of course, Kane is number eight in there. And where is Austin Matthews in this list? Because in my mind, yeah. he's a top ten player. Yes, I think there was a few few different issues I had with this list. One, I mean, a minor one that people are going to flip-flop about for the next few years, obviously. I personally think Crosby is still ahead of McDavid. I would have put him slightly ahead. I would have put Crosby in number one, McDavid number two. But that's just a personal thing. I think it's reasonable to put McDavid number one. I'm fine with McKinnon three, Drysaddle four, Ovechkin five. I think maybe Drysaddle ahead of McKinnon, but I still think McKinnon is a bit underrated in the league. Uh, so I'm fine with, like, the top five-ish. But then after that, Nikita Kucherov at six, yes, he had a really good year last year. He is not having the exact same type of year this year, and I think that kind of draws away from that. And I personally wouldn't put him at six. I would put him more where Austin Matthews currently is at around 11th. Uh, David Pasternak at seven, I think he could easily be six. I think he, him and Ovechkin are obviously tied for, tied for the Rocket Richard, so I think him – him and Ovechkin 5-6 would be easily to put them two there. Kane at number eight, he has definitely passed his prime. I personally would not put him there. I would personally uh, put him outside of the top 10. I would put him around 15th, personally. Um, Patrice Bergeron, I'll accept that he's in the top 10. I don't think he is. He didn't have a top 10-like season, but I can see why the score would put him in uh, top 10 around nine. I could see them easily putting him 10th. Uh, and the one that also kind of surprised me was Evgeny Malkin at number 10. Yes, he did have a bit of a better season with the injury, uh, the injuries Sidney Crosby had, obviously. Um, but I still feel like Malkin isn't a – I feel like he could uh, – in his better games, yes, he is a top 10 player in the league. But currently, I don't think he – I think he's, like, just barely on the cusp. I think he's he's a guy I could see fitting between, like, the 10 to 12 range easily. Mm-hmm. But – yeah, like you mentioned, my one of my biggest outrages is the fact that Austin Matthews isn't on this list. I, I know people can say Leafs fan bias, but he finished tie, uh, third in scoring this year, uh, and he's easily been the Leafs' most effective player this year. Um, I don't know where he is in the point uh, in points, but I know he. I'm pretty sure he's in top ten. He's got one of the best plus minuses in the league. 
And what I love about Matthews this season that I think isn't talked about as much is he made major steps uh, defensively. One of the biggest criticisms of him uh, all of last year and most of the start of this year was the fact that he wasn't back-checking as hard as he could have. And he elevated his game. He worked on that day in, day out, and he really elevated his ability on the defensive side of the puck. And we saw a lot of good plays. Yes, there is everyone. Everyone has their mental lapses from time to time. But Matthew really reduced those lapses and increased his forecheck and – or, sorry, his back check. And he greatly improved defensively. And that's why I think he made – improvements in the middle of the season that were clearly noticeable he was stealing the puck on defense he was making breakout passes he was doing really well as a defensive forward uh, playing both sides of the puck and I think that easily could put him I think it has to put him in the top 10 I'm so surprised that he is not in the top 10 and the likes of Patrick Kane and Bergeron and Malkin are ahead of him as well as Kucherov honestly but I, I think he is a top 10 player in the league and I, I personally would put him about I would personally put him about six, five, six, or seven in that range. Personally, I don't think he is. Um, uh, I think he is almost on the same level as Drysaddle, McKinnon, Crosby, and David uh, McDavid. But I think he is just behind them in their regards to they are complete superstars that have a little bit more experience that uh, can rack up a hundred points in a season. And I think Matthews has the potential to do that. But I think based off of his current season and improvements he's made, I think he's just slightly behind them. But in the future, I could easily see him pushing up past them. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, there's definitely a few changes that I would probably make. Yeah, the, obviously the biggest debate is McDavid or Crosby. And I think right now I would put Crosby over McDavid if you want to look at seniority and experience and going into the playoffs. Sidney Crosby has won three Stanley Cups. He knows how to – or. Yeah, he's won three Stanley Cups. He knows how to win, especially in the playoffs. He doesn't. Uh, he does do well under pressure. Uh, McDavid, my man, number two. McKinnon, three. Drysdale, four. Ovechkin, I like it. Number five. Yes, he doesn't always perform well in the playoffs. Sometimes the he has uh, known to somewhat choke in the playoffs. At least, well, the uh, Capitals as an organization as well. Kucherov, six. Pashinov, seven. I kind of like that, but I would definitely agree that Kane, despite being a black man, he's not in his prime anymore. He is, he is probably around, for me, probably 13. He's within, like, the 13 to 15 range for, like, in the top 50 regarding that kind of range. Um, Malkin, yeah, I could somewhat see him possibly being outside the top 10. But, yeah, I would probably take out Kane uh, and replace him with Matthews. At, Matthews at number eight because I think he's kind of around eight, maybe seven. I still think that Kucherov is maybe debatable where Kucherov is and stuff. He's probably, or like you said as well, he's kind of around the six, seven, eight range. Um, in my mind, because he's just, yeah, he's a natural goal scorer. He uh, was like third, yeah, I think third, third, uh, tied third with regards to goals, I think, just behind um, Ovechkin and... Um, yeah, Ovechkin and Patronak had one more goal than him, and they yeah. tied the Rocket. Yeah, and so, um, so in my mind, I think that's kind of where he sits as well, but I think the reason why maybe he doesn't, like, I don't know if they want to just hate on the Leafs for being a team that can't really perform well in the playoffs, or maybe Austin Matthews can't perform well in the playoffs. Maybe that's maybe what it is. Maybe it's a playoff thing. But in my mind, he's a good player. And if he shows up well in the playoffs, he deserves to be in that list. Um, yes, you have a lot of, in my mind, I see, well, two uh, Boston players as well. And I think that, yes, Boston, who did really well this year and have really good players, someone what could be a little bit high ranked. In my mind, he's kind of between that six to eight range for Matthews. And that's kind of where I see him fit in. 
Um, but I, I can see Malkin being still in the top 10 with Bergeron as well, just kind of being on the out, like outside looking in, maybe 10 or 11 in my mind. Um, he's, he's had a good year just like with Crosby going down, he really stepped up and stuff. And I still think he's one of the top elite players that goes into the playoffs and can form well under pressure. Um, regarding the other rest of the list and stuff, it looks good to me. There's a few minor changes that I would probably make in my mind. I definitely think Austin Matthews should be in the top 10 because he's the natural goal scorer. He knows how to like, you can, you can play the game really well. He's really mentally alert well in regards to situations and stuff. Um, yeah, and I think he's really picked up his, his defense ability regarding back-checking. Um, like you said as well, it's something that he picked up, as, picked up as the year went on. He started to kind of work harder and work on that as well. Yeah. He's, he's proven that he can improve throughout the season and improve when people, because that was one of the major things the media talked about was uh, his defensive ability and saying he wasn't back-checking hard enough. And that's kind of why the Leafs were letting in so many goals start the season. And I think under Sheldon Keefe, he realized where he needed to improve. He heard the voices and said, okay, I am going to prove you wrong. I am going to go out there be the star athlete that I am and go and improve my game because I know it'll help my team win. And that's what he's done. And I think that's what he's going to continue to do throughout his career. And if you look at this, if you look at the top 50 players in the league's list next season, whether that be for the score or any other website, I think you do see Matthews make a even bigger, like, I think, I think Matthews slips into the top five as soon as next year, easily. Already that wraps up our NHL discussion regarding the Ottawa Sun newspaper being in some hot water after publishing errors regarding charity work and uh, between the charity work and the owner Eugene Melnick from the Ottawa Senators, as well as reacting to the score's top 50 players in the 24 team playoff. This has been episode 30 of the On the Rise podcast with your host Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website on therisepodcast.ca and Instagram at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all our Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.